This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome psychologist Dr. Marielle Bouquet to the show. Dr. Marielle is a Columbia-trained therapist and author of the book, Break the Cycle, A Guide to Healing Intergenerational Trauma. Her holistic clinical framework is centered on healing trauma and breaking cycles. Breaking cycles is something that many of my clients and many of you listening worry about. Many of us are carrying old wounds, unmet needs, childhood trauma that have carried down from our parents and generations before us. As we step into parenthood, we become aware of the needs in our own childhood that went unmet. We want to put an end to those patterns, but often we don't know how. We end up putting so much pressure on ourselves to do everything right and to not make any mistakes or lose our cool. And when we inevitably do because we're human, we worry so much that we're passing on that trauma and messing up our kids. This is such a difficult cycle because we end up shaming and blaming ourselves, and ultimately that shame and blame don't help us create change. But Dr. Marielle believes that healing ourselves can. In this episode, Dr. Marielle and I talk about the science behind generational cycles of trauma and unpack the mind-body connection that often keeps us dysregulated. We talk about the practical ways that start those cycles of trauma, healing ourselves, and showing up as the moms we want to be. But before we jump in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Ronnie0611, and it's titled, The Podcast New Moms Need. I started listening when my baby was about three months old, and I'm so happy I did. This podcast became therapeutic for me. I felt so seen for my intrusive thoughts, hormonal phases, emotional hardships, and just being new to motherhood. Please keep talking about how hard motherhood is and let's lift each other up and give each other a hand when needed. It takes a village and oftentimes we are alone. Thank you so much for leaving this review. Being a new mom often feels so thankless and it's so hard to feel unseen in our new role. I'm glad that the podcast provided some aspect of that village for you and helped you to feel that you're not alone. Motherhood can feel so isolating, and I want you all to know that we're in this together. For those of you listening, I'd like to invite you to leave a review. It helps me to know that we're on the right track and we're doing well, and to know what you'd like me to offer more of in the future. Okay, let's hear my conversation with Columbia-trained psychologist and author Dr. Marielle Bouquet. At MomWell, we know that maternal mental health care matters. And we also know that moms are struggling to find quality, judgment-free providers. In fact, one in five women feel that they've been dismissed or ignored by a healthcare provider. It's time to change the way moms are treated. That's why we're determined to bring our therapy services to more moms than ever. Our qualified maternal mental health specialists are here to support moms across Canada and the United States. We support you in four major areas to ensure that we can meet the needs of as many families as possible. First, mom support. Motherhood has a way of bringing up our vulnerabilities, trauma, and mental health struggles. You shouldn't have to cope alone. Our mom counselors and postpartum therapists are ready to support you. We also offer partner support. After all, moms aren't the only ones who struggle after having a baby. As a non-birthing partner, you also go through a major life adjustment. A therapist can help support you through the transition into parenthood. Through our parenting support, we can help you tackle challenges such as breaking cycles, determining your parenting style, and parenting with confidence. 
our team of qualified therapists offer specialized support for you and your family on your parenting journey. Our team also provides relationship support. Working with a therapist can help you process the changes and strains in your relationship, open up the lines of communication, develop boundary setting skills, and work through resentment. Motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. Connect with one of our qualified maternal mental health specialists today. Find out if we serve your area and book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com slash booking. That's momwell.com slash booking. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Marielle, thank you so much for joining us today. I've followed you on Instagram for quite some time now, and I'm excited to have you here to discuss the release of your book. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. I'm I'm excited to dive into the conversation with you. I'm really curious how your platform came to be. I feel like there's always a story here and you had your platform that then evolved and probably led into the book, but how did you build your presence and your platform online? You know, actually my platform was born out of this desire to educate folks on the very things that I was learning while I was still in school. I actually started engaging on social media when I was still in my doctoral program. And I kept thinking, you know, there's this wealth of information that I'm learning every single day. Why don't people have access to this outside of these spaces? Because I would go and talk to my friends or talk to my family members, and they would have absolutely no clue as to what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was such a disservice to the public to not have this very important, pertinent information about mental health available to them. So I started just like translating the information into digestible chunks of information for social media consumption. And that's really kind of where it all began. Mm -hmm. And it really took off from there and really resonates. Your series, you said it's two years old, I think, recently. Your tea, your spill the tea or something series (laughs) is just turned two. Mm -hmm. The tea time, which is uh, like these tea therapy sessions that I do on social media, they actually were basically birthed out of the thick of the pandemic. And while we were still in it, I was like, you know what? Like everyone's feeling so incredibly lonely. We're feeling so disconnected, so isolated. I'm just going to break the fourth wall and I'm going to like talk directly to camera as if I'm talking to folks. Because at that point in time, right now, I think it's a little bit more of the norm. But at that point in time, people were not really like having a conversation. They were like talking to people. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so I wanted to have a conversation because we were all so desperately in need of that. 
And so I decided to create almost like a therapy session where I would have a session with someone about a specific area of mental health. And I would be doing it over tea because that's how we have conversations in my home. My mother makes tea for us. My grandmother used to make tea. And that used to be the ways that we would like have healing conversations, but also like heal each other through teas. And so it made a lot of sense to just bring that also into the social media platforms that I was a part of. I love it. I think that's how I discovered you. And it feels very like relatable. And there's like little nuggets of just like, let's be real for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Like cut this out or like the, like just little things that were just so practical. No, I <laughs> I love it so much. And I love that it's, it's two and it's just become a part of your platform. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really interested to dive into the content of the book today, but Breaking cycles is a really big part of the conversation with my audience because where many of them find themselves is they are trying to work on themselves and the way that they parent. Mm -hmm. And many of them are driven by wanting to parent differently than their parents parented. And there's a really bizarre thing that happens when you first become a mother or a parent where trauma or things from your past that you thought were healed or like were not a big deal maybe, now that you straddle like the future and this little human and how you want their life to be, it takes you back into your past in a way that is just so profound and unexpected. It was major blindside for me and I think it comes up a lot with clients that I work with that maybe didn't even see their past as traumatic initially, but then start to experience it through like, what kind of parent does that to their kid and just start to experience it from a different like vantage point. So I think that the breaking cycles conversation is so relevant here. And I'm curious how the book really came to be for you. Like what inspired the book? I love this question because it really is centered around cycle breakers themselves and cycle breaking parenting, which is an area that I'm really passionate about. But the actual place where the idea was even birthed was in my therapy room inside of the hospital where I used to work. I used to work actually at Columbia Medical Center over in New York, and I also did my training there. So I was still as a training clinician doing therapy and listening in on a lot of the stories of the people that I was working with. But in addition to that, us clinicians, we would actually go into these clinic team meetings and we would debrief on some of the work that we were doing with clients. And much of the stories that we would debrief on had this similar tone, like, well, this person, you know, that I'm working with is just fresh out of a domestic violence dispute with their partner And their mother went through the same thing Mm. and their grandmother went through the same thing. And so now we're talking about three generations of women that have suffered a very similar trauma that have been really kind of recycling some of these relationship patterns. And we're not really talking about the intergenerational element of it because we as clinicians even didn't have that language embedded in our clinical dialogue in order to say, I think we're working with intergenerational trauma factors and family patterns that haven't been disrupted, that are feeding an unconscious, you know, kind of relational dynamic that these women are unconsciously getting into and we need to make them aware of it. Hmm. None of that was happening. 
not a thing. We were simply saying, oh, well, you know, now she's really sad, of course, right? Now she's in deep grief, of course. Mm. And now she has a, you know, a, a classification code on her clinical file that says depressed. But is it depression or is it that this person was deeply traumatized? Mm. Right. And so mm-hmm. I started like in my inquisition, just asking those questions like this is more than what we're saying. And you have these seasoned clinicians and it's like people that are 20, 30 years in, you know, like having these conversations. And in part, you know, I'm like the newbie. So, of course, I'm not necessarily like contesting what they're saying, but I am growing curious and also wondering, are we really doing a disservice here because we're not naming the elephant in the room? And so it really kind of blossomed out of there where I was like, even if it's if I'm not explicitly saying it in the clinic right now, I have to at least like go and do something about this. And I started, you know, really kind of creating what the protocol would be for this book. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are some things as a therapist that are a specialty trauma eating disorders, addictions, but trauma being one of those things. I am not a trauma therapist. I don't have extensive trauma training. I find it to be a little bit more of the like abstract forms of therapy where it's a little bit harder to pin down. I don't even quite know how to describe it, but help me understand and those who are listening, what intergenerational trauma means? Because I understand that there's also like a lot of science here and we're going to get into the like keeping trauma in the body and the various pieces, but it just feels a little abstract to me. Can you help us understand? Yeah, absolutely. And that abstract perception of trauma has been a large part of why I even wrote within the book so much science, not so much to bog the reader. Actually, I had a completely different book written, especially at the beginning. The book was like, heavily scientific. And I got amazing feedback from my editors that it felt as though, you know, it was in essence like trying to make a case for trauma rather than helping people to move from it, right? Mm. Because like when you throw a lot of information to a mind and a body that's already like really overwhelmed, it makes sense. It's not going to, you know, our minds are not going to register all of that density. In fact, they can become re-traumatized. And so Hmm. literally I was like 250 pieces of text in, right? And trying to synthesize all that information, all that science, all that research in order to Hmm. make the case for why we needed to listen to the fact that intergenerational trauma was even something. Yeah, it speaks to the abstractness, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like parts spiritual, parts body, parts psychological. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like a mixture of things that are kind of like intangible. We talk a lot here about the invisible load, for example, the cognitive labor that women carry. And it's kind of like, we know it's there. We carry it. We feel it. We feel it in Mm -hmm. our body. We feel it in our mind. We know that we carry this hard work, but until you've got the language to clearly like define it or lay it out on the table, even those who are carrying it, it is invisible too. And this feels Mm -hmm. kind of like a similar thing where it feels invisible, but it weathers us. Like we feel it throughout our life or in the patterns that play out, but it feels invisible. I don't know. Yeah. I love the analogy because it really fits. So, you know, very often moms, you know, especially moms that, let's say moms that are trying to relate to anyone, right? That they are feeling overwhelmed. 
until they have the language, they're just saying like, why don't you ever or... Yeah, exactly. You know, and it looks like that. But in reality, there's a root. There's something else that's happening underneath it. And the same goes with trauma. Hmm. You know, sometimes we might look at someone and say, oh, you know, they always get like a little bit antsy whenever such and such happens. Or, you know, that's just the way that they are because they're always irritable. Well, maybe they're not always irritable. Maybe what's really happening is that they have a nervous system that's overactive that responds very abruptly to things because they are never really settled in a nervous system. And a part of like my work has a real foundation in the nervous system, partly because that's where a lot of our trauma responses derive from, Hmm. but also because I really wanted to get at the true and pure science of it all so that we wouldn't really have a place where we could say, oh, that's nothing. That's not happening. Because, you know, so many people come into work with me that are like, no, it really is something and it hurts. Mm -hmm. And so I I really wanted for us to have the full context of what that hurt actually is. And what I've landed at is really, you know, a lot of people from multiple areas of science have given us little bits and pieces that taken together culminate into what we know is intergenerational trauma. Okay. But... Right now, you know, the two biggest points of intersection of intergenerational trauma, in essence, are biology, which is a lot of like our genetic expressions and genetic makeup that we inherit from our parents, grandparents, and so forth and so on. And we have actual scientific data to help us understand what is happening in the body while, let's say, like a mother is pregnant, right? When she's pregnant at five months gestation, her baby would have already developed all of the precursor sex cells that they would have for a lifetime, regardless of gender. Hmm. And so that means that in that very moment, those tiny little cells would be what would later develop into that mother, that pregnant mother's grandchildren. Mm -hmm. So now we have the pregnant mother, the five-month embryo, and then the precursor sex cells that are in the embryo's reproductive organs. We have three generations in one body. Mm-hmm. And everything that is happening to, we'll call her mom, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that's happening to pregnant mom is creating hormonal representations and upsurges in her body. So she's stressed. Cortisol is flooding through her bloodstream and is filtering into her five-month embryo. And that's filtering to those tiny microscopic sex cells. Mm -hmm. And everybody is experiencing stress at that point in time. So now upon, you know, like when those sex cells are now conceived and, you know, with a partner way later on, right? Like they already have some of that history in them. Mm -hmm. So we do have, you know, an intergenerational line of like, we experienced the stress that was in our grandmother's bellies. And, you know, sometimes that creates a vulnerability and a predisposition to being more tender to stress and trauma. Mm. And so there is, you know, all of that that's there. And I really wanted to fully capture the biology so that we could have a really good handle on what exactly is happening here. But in addition to that, we have everything that happens thereafter. So now you have a baby that's born and that baby Let's say they're born into a home where the parents are, you know, not very happy with one another and potentially undergoing a divorce. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of moments when one parent isn't present. There's lack of attunement. There's all of these things. 
And that baby is sitting there absorbing all of that Mm -hmm. and not really feeling a sense of safety on a continuous basis because they're hearing yelling noises and that's making their little tiny little nervous system that's still developing go on alert and almost default to a state of hyper threat. Mm. And then they enter the school system, you know, they interact with kids, maybe they get bullied, maybe they go into like their first teenage relationship and it's not a good one, right? Like all the things that life does happens. Mm -hmm. They now they're in a pandemic, right? Like life, life. Right. And so this tiny human could then, you know, develop their own trauma symptoms. And that's when we, in essence, can say, okay, the biology, the vulnerability met the psychology, all the other things in life. Hmm. And it created these trauma symptoms in yet another generation. So now we're talking about intergenerational trauma. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. So I have heard a lot about like this concept, the body keeps score, right? Like in terms of trauma, I don't fully know what that means. I'll be honest, but I do understand there is a mind-body connection here. And it sounds like, and we'll get to, so that this doesn't feel like a really sort of disheartening. I feel like moms, we take our job very seriously. We want to, at all costs, not harm our kids and traumatize them. And so we're talking about predispositions and things that we can course correct, and we're going to get there. So bear with us. Like If you're feeling shameful, we're going to get to the places where we can break the cycles, which is essentially what the book is about. But 
help me understand the mind-body connection here. Because there can be, let's say, I have a predisposition because I come from, you know, maybe line of like addictions and abuse or something. And there's a predisposition for more easily traumatized. I don't know what the predisposition is exactly. How does that play out in terms of a mind-body connection? How does that trauma impact or like live in our body if we're also living through it now? What is meant by the body keeps the score is a host of things. It's, you know, the fact that with trauma, our nervous system kind of gets defaulted to being in a state of hyper threat. And that means that it goes into what we call fight, flight, freezer fawn. Mm -hmm. Fight, flight means that, you know, you're either fighting people all the time thinking that they are a threat to you or that they mean you, you know, harm in some way or another. And people can be like super benign about something, like just have a little bit of a change in tone. And all of a sudden you're screaming and yelling and saying like, you know, like you never understand me. And like, you're always trying to like, you know, downplay what I do. And that that's the fight. Hmm. Flight is usually people that, you know, people default to some of these and some people just vary through them. But flight means just, you know, you avoid, right? Like you're like a uh, conflict avoidant, don't really want to get into it. You know, just very sensitive to these kinds of conflicts and you shy away from even protecting yourself. Maybe you people please. Then mm-hmm. we have freeze and phone. So freeze is basically like when people are in essence, like really dissociative, they just like, they feel like I can't even deal, you know, this just feels like a lot. Even a mild stressor, let's say that they get reprimanded for like having the wrong tally of, you know, in the budget at work, right? And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, like, they're just like completely like, I can't even function. I can't engage. And so they dissociate. And that's more of like the freeze response. And then the fawn response is like a full emotional shutdown. Usually when we see people are like, you know, kind of bedridden and can't engage with kind of anything, anyone, that usually is more of the shutdown response. Mm-hmm. And when we're in a state of trauma, when our emotional capacities get tapped out because we experience something incredibly dysregulating or we have a life that is profoundly stressful on a continuous basis and it taps out our capacity to really like work through those difficulties, we can start defaulting to these nervous system states more frequently. Mm-hmm. And it makes it so that our nervous system never has a moment to rest. However, our nervous system is structured to experience stress and then move through it and actually enter that state of balance. If it doesn't do that with enough frequency, if the stressor is entirely too big or if the stressor is something that happens on a continuous basis, if a mom is like, you know, having financial difficulties for like 10 years, right, and having Mm -hmm. to carry the load of motherhood, let's say by herself with the financial difficulties added on top. It's a lot of stress for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you know, the body is going to start feeling very worn down and that's going to impact her levels of energy, meaning that she could start becoming deeply exhausted. It can start impacting the ways that she's able to really manipulate a lot of information. Like if she's, you know, a mom that has to like make sure that she remembers that Taekwondo is happening on Thursday night. And then, you know, for the next kid, like volleyball practice is happening on Tuesday night. And she's like mixing up the details. She just can't keep it straight because she's just feeling so overwhelmed. That's a part of also how our mind gets impacted by these nervous system states. Hmm. Eventually, 
with enough of us not resting enough in our nervous system, we can also develop chronic illnesses in our physical body, like metabolic diseases, like heart conditions, autoimmune disorders, and even some cancers have been mapped directly to high levels of stress that are there for an extended period of time. So that's how the mind and body really kind of interplay with each other when it comes to stress and trauma. And it becomes like this whole system upsurge that doesn't really get a chance to be absolved from your body. And eventually the body just gets very tired. Mm. It's really interesting. And you do address this in the book as well, where there is all of these like fragmented practices of medicine and science, right? Like I can understand like chronic illnesses or like inflammation and like different research that comes out that we hear about inflammation being, you know, negative for the body or chronic stress and its impacts on the body and whatever. And then also be in therapy and like understand that we hold our emotions in our body. Like they are clues and they are woven into our muscles and our system and like understand each of these things sort of in their independent disciplines, but to weave them together in a holistic or helpful way. I feel like we don't do enough of that. Like there is not a real understanding of how they then like impact or feed each other. And so it needs more. And it sounds like that's what you're really doing is like bringing a lot of this together and bridging those gaps and bringing it into a full cohesive story because we do have lots of research in each of these sort of fragmented separate areas that paint a picture or tell a story, but there's no discipline that is responsible for stitching them together in any cohesive way, it sounds like. Yeah, that's correct. And so it, it really, you know, we've been socialized that way in the field of medicine is definitely structured to almost kind of fragment our care as well. Like you go to cardiology for a specific, you know, area of your body, right? Like anything that's heart related. You go to, you know, gastroenterology, right? For anything that's in the gastro tract. However, there is no field of medicine that is really saying, you know what? When the nervous system is experiencing an upsurge for an extended period of time, and even for a short period of time, and it's just incredibly like stressful and acute, it causes parts of your gastro tract to just shut down for a moment, right? And that can also lead your heart to race for longer than it needs to because you're thinking you're you know, in danger. And that these two areas of your body are directly connected to the stressors that are happening around you and how you're internalizing those stressors. And that if we were to minimize some of the stressors that are happening in your life by helping you to manage the stressors in a different way, that there is a likely chance that you can, you know, save your heart from having complications down the line. And that those IBS symptoms that you're having that kind of feel like constipation are really just your gastro tract not being able to mobilize and move and digest because the rest and digest function of your nervous system is shut down for longer than it needs to be. So no one is like really talking about that connection and how mm -hmm. important it is for us to really experience ourselves in a very mind-body way so that when we do healing, we do holistic healing rather than let's just, you know, give them a pill for the heart or, you know, or a pill for IBS and then treat the symptom 
believe the root cause there for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Or when I think of like so many friends, especially in like their young adult years, their expression of anxiety was like urgency to use the bathroom or feeling like they were going to throw up or nauseousness, like, yeah. you know, these physical expressions <laughs> of their fear or nervousness or however. It's really interesting. So probably the biggest fear I want to say that I hear from moms is I just like, I don't want to traumatize my child. <laughs> it's almost as though we've gone through our own upbringing. We have our own like needs that went unmet and the pendulum almost feels like it has swung to the direct opposite where we are so scared of causing harm to our children that we go to such great lengths or are so critical and hard on ourselves to prevent unnecessary harm from happening. And I'm curious your take on this. Like we are human and we are imperfect. I don't think that children are going to make it out like not negatively impacted or having negative like interactions with their parents in some way. Like it's part of humanity, right? Maybe the context here is some of those early childhood, like those adverse experiences, and we can help maybe people understand what really falls in that bucket. But I know it's a major fear for those who are listening. Yeah, and it makes complete sense for it to be something that parents would be worried about. One thing that I tend to always say when I'm working with moms is the fear and the worry that you have about the possibility of, I hear this a lot, quote unquote, messing up your child. Yeah. That fear is actually not going to help you to be the most present centered and safe and settled version of a mom that I know you want to be in order to actually help your child, right? Like, because it's going to instead preoccupy you in that state of anxiety Hmm. and it's going to make you miss the cues for when your child actually needs you to step in and help them. Hmm. So a lot of my initial work, especially when I'm working with families, is initially I am helping moms settle their own nervous system for that reason. Because what we want is for your kid to feel like you are a safe enough person for them to go to whenever they need help Hmm. and not feel like if they need help with something, if they have a fear, a worry, a story, anything, that they go to you and you get startled because you're in your, you know, hyperactive nervous system response and you yell at them without meaning to sometimes, right? But that you yell at them and that instead that story that was like burning to get out of their, you know, little heads and they really wanted to relate to you to get your feedback on never gets a chance to really be heard, right? And so Mm -hmm. the very first step is really like, mom, how are you? How are you doing? How can we help you? How can we help you settle your nervous system, not just because it's important for you to be able to have better attunement to your child, but because you also matter. Because you and the ways that you're able to show up emotionally is also something that, you know, we need to be well. But also because when you're showing up in a more kind of like settled state, your child will also model that and emulate that and see that. They'll see how you're taking care of yourself. They'll see how you're, you know, engaging in meditative practices to really like connect with yourself in a mindful way. 
they may join in because they like what you're doing. And so all of that becomes like this, what I call this upward spiral of like health promoting practices in the home that helps not only mom exclusively, but it helps mom and her child. In addition, it also helps just the overall health of the family. It's just got so many incredible benefits when we look at it that way. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed, but the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirina Reem's Psyched Mummy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create All the Rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code RAGE20. It's interesting because when we're wanting to do no harm and wanting to do things right, it feels like it falls into that like hypervigilantly attuned, right? Like it's almost like still operating out of our trauma or like parenting from that place of trauma because we're so on the lookout for anything that could cause harm. It feels like that hypervigilance or that threat response is still dialed like way up. And to me, that still feels like parenting out of our trauma or like that we haven't dealt with our own stuff yet. Like if something still feels like that much of a live wire or like it feels like a little unsettled still. (laughs) And yeah, I can see how if we are hypervigilantly attuned or wanting to do everything right, like we might 
overreact or overtune or helicopter or like just be overly maybe even intrusive and wanting to know feelings or just get overly involved because we're so hypervigilant about it. <laughs> so I can see how settling ourselves or doing that work to just kind of like anchor and ground ourselves a bit can be a really great place to start. Yeah. And you know, like making any kind of what we would identify as like an error is a natural part of the process. But when you allow your child to see you repair, that is where, you know, you can actually like have a profound impact because they're able to see how you can be fully human, how you can err, and then you can work through it with them and think out loud and allow them to see your full humanity on display in a way that's, of course, age appropriate. Mm-hmm. And it gives you and them a beautiful foundation for connection around your shared humanity. So oftentimes, you know, parents, they think, okay, I messed up. And so it's almost like, that's it, right? But not really. Actually, that's, mm. it, can, it can be seen as an opportunity. And this can happen even with adult children. So even moms that have, you know, some, some moms have like children that range from toddler to adult, right? And mm-hmm. one of my very treasured colleagues had like a, I think like a 20-year gap between his children. And I remember him feeling like, well, I can't mess the younger ones up because I messed up so badly with the eldest, right? Mm-hmm. And more recently, he's been like going back into that relationship with his eldest son and like really re-energizing it and from a place of a lot of vulnerability and and really trying to formalize a repair. It's there's it's never too late. It's never too late to actually help any one of our children in a way that feels therapeutic and can create that bond and that safety net that we desire for them. Even if we haven't had the tools before and we haven't really kind of organized around the ways that fits our values as parents, moving forward, you can do that, which is why I always tell people like every day presents itself with an opportunity to break the cycle and all you have to do is take it. Mm -hmm. I feel that it or I even hear from clients that it feels hopeless sometimes, or like the odds are so stacked against them. Like they come from, you know, intergenerational trauma and maybe that, you know, exists in their body and their biology in some way. And then they've also had these adverse experiences and it can feel very like helpless and powerless sometimes. So I'm curious for those who are just like starting this cycle breaking work and are like hearing the conversation now, like it feels like such a big journey to be on, Mm -hmm. right? Like where do they start, whether maybe repair is the answer or the grounding in themselves, like those sound like two really great places, Mm -hmm. but yeah, like it feels like big work to be starting. Yeah, it does. And it is, and it always has been, right? Like it's just that Now we actually have an understanding that it's there, that we have these trauma wounds in our families. Think back 20 years, we didn't have language that, you know, spoke to trauma and the ways in which family secrets breed trauma or, you know, the ways that we were causing injury to each other, even if we love each other. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of that language just started entering mainstream now. So of course, when we have to then integrate that language into our families, it's going to feel strange. It's going to feel unraveling. 
And to be frank, the honesty, you know, and the honest part of my work is in me telling folks, it's not going to feel good at the beginning. It's going to be messy. You're going to fumble and you're going to need a lot of grace to give yourself grace and to give others grace in their journey towards disrupting and breaking cycles. It isn't something that happens overnight. It's something that requires dedicated work and dedicated parties, meaning like more than one person also has to be willing to do the work, which I know is really hard, especially in families where, you know, you have generations that really stick to their values and don't want to really do the healing. Mm -hmm. However, every bit of that healing that you can do will have a ripple effect. And if you can really just hold on to that, eventually the levels will start scaling up and you'll start seeing tangible ways in which your healing is actually producing a change in your life and in your family's lives. But it takes time. Mm -hmm. However, I find that it can be really helpful for people to have like, you know, everybody's different and every story's different. But when I heard and read this piece of information, it felt like that one moment where I could be like, maybe this could be something that I could offer that could be helpful to ground a person in the knowing that something can change soon enough. Mm. And it was the fact that I learned, you know, that our body memory, which is very different from, let's say, like our brain's memory, but our body memory takes in an approximate like 300 or so repetitions of a practice in order to really default more to that rest and relaxation. And, you know, I tell people to deep breathe all the time, but I say you have to do it for at least five minutes in a day. And it can be a really healthy practice to invite your kids into, right? Like right before breakfast, everyone's deep breathing. And oftentimes I'm met with resistance around time and time being a constraint. And I try to frame it for the parent by helping them to understand, okay, so we have 1,440 minutes in a day. And if you take five of those minutes, you can actually do a really healthy reset for yourself and for your kids. Could that be worth it? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the science. 300 repetitions is something that can actually regenerate your body memory and help your nervous system to start defaulting to more rest and defaulting less to hyperactive you know, nervous system states. And if you practice deep breathing once a day for those five minutes, for an entire year, you already have well over your 300. That's a year. If you're a mom in her 40s, you've lived probably four plus decades in a body that's felt inflamed and foreign and unsettled. If you give yourself a year of like doing the practices that can be very helpful, in a year, you might be able to see some tangible change that really you really feel in your body and in your mind. Mental clarity will come through. Your neurons will start also rewiring in ways that are, you know, reflective of the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's really worthwhile. But we just haven't had the tangible tools like poured into society to say, hey, here, do this. And it can be helpful. Mm -hmm. And helpful in the way that it like how trauma can have a negative impact on our body. Helpful in the way that like mindfulness and meditation actually changes our brain, right? Like helpful in tangible ways that can change our biology for the better also. And I think it's important to note that because it can feel really hopeless when we're talking about these changes that maybe we've been predisposed to or these various pieces. Like we also have a lot and can feel empowered in 
making these changes and our biology and our, you know, nervous system changing along with them or our neural pathways, all of the things. One of the interesting things for me in my own like starting of my healing journey was getting out of the environment that was like toxic to begin with mm-hmm. and finding like safe and secure relationships. So like my partner, for example, has been like one of the most like safe and healing places. And that in itself, just allowing my nervous system to like just disarm because the environment is different, kind of allowed for the space to do some of the work. So I think that having community, having your people who see you, who are safe, who respect and understand like that is so valuable. And I don't think it can be understated because I don't know, we want that connection, that belonging, that safety, that security with people. And if we didn't have it in our families growing up, we can build that with other people in our lives who can help anchor us a bit as well. Yeah. And we can build families that also are a reflection of that Mm. sense of safety, right? Mm -hmm. The families that we come from don't have to be the families that come out of us. We can really restructure the legacies that we come from and drive them in the direction of legacies of abundance, of psychological safety, physical safety, right? Like Mm -hmm. really restructure the ways that things have been for the better, for the next generation. But because we are the ones doing the work, eventually we get to benefit off of that work too. It's not just all hard work and then the children benefit. Like parents also get an opportunity to reap the benefits of the work that they do and experience the joy and the you know, the sense of fulfillment and pride in the work that they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so great. And I feel like such a great place for us to like leave this conversation. I appreciate the work that you're doing and the book that you're putting out there in the world. I'm so excited for you. I understand all the craziness that goes into getting to this stage. It's such an exciting stage. Where can people buy the book? Where can they find your platform, learn more from you? Yeah, thank you. So I am super grateful that you brought this conversation here. My work can be found at drmariellebouquet.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn a lot lately and sharing information there. But the book can be found anywhere, really, where books are sold. It's practically everywhere. It's, you know, a book by Penguin Random House. So they just kind of put it everywhere. So wherever you you shop for books, whether it's Indie or if it's Target or if it's Barnes & Noble or Amazon, you know, you can find it there. We'll link all that in the show notes too, so people can easily click through and find you. But thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. I remember so clearly feeling my childhood wounds rise up to the surface when I became a mom. It caught me by surprise. I thought I had healed and moved past the struggles, and when I became a mom, I was straddling both my past and my future looking at raising this child. I had put in so much work to process the pain and the wounds that I had gone through that I wasn't sure what to think when I was reliving them again through the eyes of being a parent now. But since then, I've come to understand that healing isn't a destination. Parenting differently takes a lot of work and a lot of time, but every step, every little bit of healing makes a big difference. You might not feel it day to day, but when you look back after a month or a year or a couple of years, you'll see it and you'll feel the difference. 
I really love the idea of just spending five minutes a day focusing on regulating your nervous system with deep breathing. As moms, we just get so busy that we often feel like healing is something that we just have to put off. But our needs matter. The work we do on ourselves allows us to feel happier and healthier and allows us to show up better for our children as well. And if we can start to make a change with just five minutes a day, that little change can make a very powerful difference. The biggest thing I want you to take away from this episode is that the goal is not to be perfectly healed or to never make mistakes or to somehow be able to regulate yourself 100% of the time. We are all human. We are all works in progress. And no matter how much we heal, we will always make mistakes. But when we understand the patterns of generational trauma, we can see where some of our dysregulation is coming from. We can give ourselves forgiveness and show the children the value of healing, taking care of ourselves, and regulating our bodies and minds. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. I know that so many of you are dealing with childhood wounds and working hard to show up and break cycles. Send me a DM on Instagram and let me know what resonated with you from this conversation with Dr. Marielle. And I want you to know that you don't have to do this alone. Breaking cycles is a massive undertaking and our MomWell therapists can help. Head to momwell.com booking to book a free 15-minute virtual consultation today. That's momwell.com booking. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I am being joined by my husband for now to celebrate the 200th episode of the podcast, and we are talking about how we redistributed the labor in our home and moved towards more of an equal partnership. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the MomWell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.